Welcome to the session, the Q&A session of the Possibilitator Possibility Coaching Training with Clinton Callahan. We invited you and you are here. Thank you that you followed our calling. <laughs> and I think everyone know you. So I think we can skip the introduction. This is good because <laughs> in terms of knowing myself, I can count on you guys. Okay, great. So I let Elizabeth and Elizabeth in. She sneaked in. All right. Okay. So I, I will hand over to you, Clinton. And as it is in Q&A, we were gathering questions and um, I won't read them here because these are your questions and you need to ask them. But it was the invitation that the questions are landing in the space so they can kind of ferment in the collective and you get inspired and you even have more dangerous questions or whatever is in, in the making <clears throat> on your path of becoming a possibility coach. So the doors are open and I'm handing you over, hand it over to you, Clinton. Thank you, <laughs> I accept. Great. I'd like to begin by saying how glad I am that each of you has recognized the value provided by possibility coaching. And, and I emphasize that from my own personal experience, having, for example, participated in the creation of this film called Leap, the coaching movie, where there were some 30 plus forms of coaching um, all came together to serve these four clients who were in the movie. And to, to discover shockingly, you know, I'd never, I'd never accepted the psychoanalytical or intellectual style of coaching. I never took participated myself in a, in a professional coaching training. And I'm so glad because we in possibility coaching started over from zero. I don't know if you know that, but we started from zero, from facing actual reality, people's needs, people's questions, people's pain, people's unconscious habits, people's conflicts, people like all of this, we started without depending on the Freudian, Jungian, psychoanalytical context that so much of Western coaching is based on. And we started over in a completely different place, which was the context of possibility. And out of creating, taking radical responsibility for creating, managing possibility for ourselves and for our clients, we developed an entirely new framework of coaching, which is possibility coaching. And to, to see our coaching at work in comparison to other forms of coaching, it, while we were creating the film project, it was a year or so film project where we, it, it turned out that the possibility coaching, like I, was the only coach they asked to coach all four of the clients because they could see the astonishing effect of possibility coaching on the actual evolutionary change, the matrix building, 
the inner navigation skill, the clarity and possibility that came out through these rapid sessions, the rapid evolution of the sessions from us. So they, possibility coaching was the only coaching that they had talked to all four of the clients, most of which was not ever shown in the film. So the sessions that we did were out in the desert or after the camera was off and they had me do a session with somebody. So that most, but, but everybody in the space knew the difference between possibility coaching and every other kind of coaching. And, and so I just wanted to acknowledge that you're taking a stand for delivering a kind of coaching that is inexplicable compared to most other kinds of coachings and yet also inexplicably effective. It's so fast and so clean and so so stable. The, the, the results of the coaching are just stabling people. They, they, they start a session here, they end up here and they, they don't go back. There's no need to go back because they are a different person because they've been through the liquid state. Whereas no other coaching that we ran into has a liquid state. They don't allow liquid states. You're supposed to understand something in your mind with these other forms of coaching. And when you understand it in your mind, you go, aha, okay, I get it now. And then things are supposed to change. And we all know that people have a gremlin and underworld and shadow world, and they have hidden purposes, and they have hidden competing commitments, and they have mind machines and brain splits, and they have all these <laughs> conditions that block actual evolutionary change. So I just, uh, you're taking a stand for a radically new form of coaching in the world. And I hope that we can spread this around as fast and as widely as possible. I thank Christina Dirchner for taking this stand as a space holder for the specialty of possibility coaching in the possibilitator training. That's fabulous uh, doorway. She's holding open this doorway and formalizing it. And then, so I'm really happy to dive in today with you into any and all questions, personal, impersonal, transformational, transitional, transsexual, any, any kind of questions are allowed. The floor is open. Johanna, you're moving your lips, but you're not putting the words to it. Go ahead. Okay. I am... Um, uh, I think my question comes from my French box or being with more French boxes. So this is the context. Um, what's, what's the difference between the impulse of archetypal lineage and, and having a political point of view? Uh, in the French box, everything, every act you're doing, it's political. And my question is not that clear, but I'm facing a client who is, she's highly, was, like she's, um, she's trying to escape patriarchy and, but with all this political of feminism and, or non-binary genders and all this new gender stuff. And this is one of her political position. And at the same time, she doesn't, she cannot go into her, like her connection to her being and archetypal lineage doesn't work. And it's not, it doesn't work, it's not the words. It's just, there is, I, I don't know how much it's her archetypal lineage who wants to move through that, uh, going moving out of patriarchy and then she's using these political tools, but. Um, uh, Johanna, let me explain. Yes. 
You are hooked. Do you know what the term hooked means? Yes. Okay. So she's got you. She's got you hooked into your mind, into a philosophical, conceptual, ideological, philosophical conversation. And yes, so you're hooked. that's very French. Yeah, that's, that's a French hook. Yes. So as a possibility coach, you cannot afford to be hooked at all, ever. And so the, the way, so she's got your button or she has this little question and she thinks her question is important. It's just bullshit. And so I think you're, you've somehow covered over your bullshit detector to maybe because of your own French box, you know, maybe, maybe that is going on, but the, your job as a possibility coach is to hold a space that's unhookable. You, and because if it's, if you are hookable, if the space is hookable by her logical, linear, irrelevant question, it's the, the questions are irrelevant. It, then, then the space is not safe for her in the, to go into a liquid state. And so what's your job as a coach is to pull the rug out from underneath any kind of a approach, an intellectual, conceptual, philosophical, uh, politically correct um, uh, questions because they are, they're just irrelevant in terms of your client's evolution, in terms of your client's ability to be more present or to be more adult, for example, or to be in five bodies or to internavigate, you know, so that they can have access to their inner resources. So she's just trapped, she hooked you. So your job is to pull the rug out from underneath that, that approach. But that means pulling the rug out from your own self. Like, what I, I use the word bullshit detector. And so it, it's important to sense the purpose of your client's request or your client's questions. And so a question from your, a client who, who brings in political correctness or um, all those, the whole orientation of, of um, the mind, the mind's considerations that, the, so pulling the rug out from under that starts with the purpose. You have to detect the purpose of her question. So, so she will ask this question. And you, so the thing is, you, you were hooked because you took her question at face value. Like you, you, you granted authority to her question. So me as a possibility coach myself, I grant zero credibility to anybody's question. I do not grant their question any power. I, I, I look at their purpose. What would be, so you can tell a purpose of a question or tell a purpose of an action because it's like a bow and an arrow. You know, when you're, you're gonna pull this bow and arrow, before you let go of the string, like the, the moment you let go of the string, where that arrow is going to land is already known. Already, that's the purpose of it. So when, it, when, a perfect, when, a, when your client is formulating their question, you already know the purpose, where that thing is going. And if, they're going, if it's going up into the mind, if it's going into understanding, if it's going into 
like political correctness or any of this kind of stuff. It's a trap. The whole thing is pointless. And so, so you, your job is to immediately undermine that and give it zero credibility. You know, laugh at it if you have to, but go, God, the mind is such an amazing deception, isn't it? Thinking that that would be of use for you to have an answer to your question. Is that what you really want? You're going to pay me 150 euros to get an answer to that question. That's what you really want here. Or do you want something to change? You know, those are the options that you offer. And if they want an answer to their question, go, go, go look it up in a book. You know, go, go online and, and Google it somewhere. I'm doing transformational coaching here, possibility coaching. We're not doing answers to philosophical, political questions. I am not playing a game with you. I refuse to play that game with you. So this is a kind of way to pull the rug out from underneath the, and give no valid validity or credibility to that kind of, a, of, a, of an approach. That would be, and, the, and the, it would be useful for you, Johanna, to go through this emotional healing process of how you could possibly be hooked by something like this. Why would you give it validity? Why would you give it? So that would be worthwhile for you to do that. Is that helpful? Yes, thank you. Um, yes, uh, I noticed it was bullshit. And I know it's my fear of saying it's bullshit. This is my uh -oh. emotional healing process. Okay, clearly you guys should get together and just have this bullshit club sometime where you just, like Devin knows what we're talking about. We've, been, we've done it before, but you just enjoy. We did it in the, in the lab. Didn't we do that in the lab here in, in Brazil? That's bullshit! <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Okay, yes, I will contact you, Devin. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm talking about all of you guys. You should yeah. all do that. Devin should hold space for a bullshit practice Please. class. But you guys just cut loose with some fucking bullshit. Please. That's bullshit. Just all right. Me. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Devin. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Johanna. <laughs> <Cool. laughs> Somebody else. I have a question. About... Can you hold on just one second? Can you just yes. hold on one second? I mean, what I was trying to say before or trying to amp is to promote your radical, it's a kind of arrogance. And, I, and it's an arrogance about not being hookable. It's an arrogance about not having to take their gremlin or their unconscious habit patterns for as real. Like you, you don't, there's no, there's no, if you do that, you're, you're lost. You cannot hold the kind of space that has possibility and clarity that would be useful for the client. If you engage them at the level of the question that they're asking, the space is over. And so all I'm just saying is this it takes a kind of practice, this bullshit detector, this crap detector, this, this kind of purpose detector. You have to really it's a purpose sniffer. You have to use your purpose sniffer, every single move they're making. You know, and, and they're talking about this and their little fingers are doing this and you're paying attention to the fingers and say, I want to know what your fingers are saying. You know, tell me what your fingers are saying because that's true. This other stuff you're doing is just bullshit. Tell me what your fingers, why are your fingers going like that? So that's what I wanted to do was to just emphasize this gap. You hold this gap between what they're presenting and what they think they're presenting. 
you know, they think they're presenting this thing and you're looking at it from a completely different perspective like that. Thank you, Habet, for waiting. Can you go ahead? Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of the same direction. For me, there's this question if a client has a real necessity. Sometimes they come with some kind of discomfort, which feels uncomfortable, and still there is no engagement of trying something else. And I am sometimes I feel uh, insecure of if the person is just stuck and in their in their issue, so to say, if yeah. communication or feeling or or is there no real necessity? Is it just so? Have that so you know they have necessity. You know their life sucks, right? You just look at them and their life is shit. Their relationship is shit. They're they're working for some company, thinking that money has value. They're not in they're not in ecstasy. You know they have necessity. So what I found is that a lot of times when a person is confused about their necessity or their presentation about what's really up for them, when that's confusing, or even if somebody will come and have a session with me and they'll go, you know, I don't know, hit me with something, and they and they really don't have some emotional reactivity going on at the moment. Those are sometimes the most profound and transformational sessions to have. And so it's fortunate when a person can come to you and they're confused about their necessity. And then, then you can just, you can do the real piece of surgery, whatever the thing is. And it doesn't come from my mind. You know, when I'm like, I'm sure you know this, you sit across from somebody and they don't have, they're confused about what's going on. And then you just go, okay, this is going to be a real one. And you just cut loose with something from left field, which is a baseball metaphor, which I try not to use baseball metaphors, but coming from something from the sky, from the tree in the woods, something from, from the, something that they're wearing, or you know, ask them about how much money they have in the bank and how do they feel about it? Or when was the last time they had really good sex? Or when was the last time they went on top of a tall building in, and had a, a, a meal with some, some with somebody or, or went up there to a top of a tall building where they have a restaurant at the top of the building, you know, and you can see the sunset and things. You go up there and you sit at somebody's table where they don't have a partner. You just sit down with somebody else. And when was the last time they did that? You know, do you sit on a stranger's table and have a, a sunset dinner with them, even though you didn't plan it like that? And then, and then <coughs> you don't know what's going to come out of your mouth, but you go for it. You find out what's a, the most, this cru crucial aliveness that's missing out of this person's life and you just push on it. You, it's, you just push on that point. And you know, half the time it will work and half the time it won't work. But if it does not work, then you go to the next thing and then you go to the next thing. And after two or three places where you push, uh, it's an incredible, You'll, you'll find the real thing for them and such gold will come out and such pain and such, such, such longing and such, like there's this great story by, I heard it from Eric Byrne, who is the founder of Transactional Analysis. And he was trying to describe how effective coaching really worked. And, and he said, most coaching works like this. You, you know, somebody is walking barefoot along the dirt road and they get a splinter in their toe. 
And so they don't even notice that it's not much of anything. It just hurts a little while, but then the thing gets infected. And so pretty soon it swells up and then they start limping on their left foot and this pain goes up the back of their leg and pretty soon they're limping and then their back goes out. You know, and they can't walk straight because they're limping and then they get a, a neck stress and then they have a pain and then their neck goes out. And then they get this fever from the infection. And so the fever comes over and then their, start, their system starts to collapse. And they go into the hospital, which is like when they first go to a coach and they say, I, I can't breathe. And they throw them on the table and the, the doctor, you know, the normal coach says, God, look, it's affecting the whole system. Oh my God, we're gonna have to cut the leg off. We're gonna have to do this open heart surgery, you know, bring in the antibiotics, you know, and this is the ordinary kind of approach. But for possibility coaching, what happens is the person comes in, they're all cramped up, you know, they're all bent over, they have pain, their head, you know, their fever and all. And you, the possibility coach, you come up and you, you kick them in the leg. They go, ow! And then you, that wasn't good enough. And you punch them in the stomach. And they go, ooh, ooh, uh, no, that wasn't it. And then you step on their toe, the one that has a splinter in it. They go, ah! <laughs> and you go, that's it. And then you grab their toe. And you go, ah, this is what it is. You have a splinter and you cut it open. You go, <laughs> all this pus and slime and everything comes out of the toe. And you know, and you go, <clears throat> okay, you're out of here. They go, what? It was affecting my whole system. You know, fuck you. No, it's a fucking splinter. God, we handled this splinter. You'll be ready in a couple hours. You know, the fever goes away. They drink some water. Their neck goes back all by itself, you know, and everything's back in shape. It's because of the splinter. So this is what you got to do. You got to walk up to people and punch them here and there a couple places. Grab them around the neck, slap their face, you know, squeeze their, you know, you do this. And it doesn't take long at all before you know exactly what's going on for them. And then you just handle that thing, that splinter. And it's so effective to use the idea of this, that you're looking for the splinter and you handle the splinter and then their whole system's in a whole new beginning again. So this is, this, it's like that. It's like when people come and they're not so clear about their necessity then this is free access for you to do what's really true and important and real for them or what's really going on for them. And, you know, a lot of this stuff will happen from their childhood. You know, a lot of this is childhood shit because people, because it takes six, eight, 10 really serious big liquid states to handle this childhood shit. You know, the mom and the dad and the kids at school and old decisions. And then after that, then you start getting some past life stuff. But Really, what's important is to is to go for the big things first and don't even, you know, can't really count on what they're reporting or what they're asking about. You really need to use your intuition, your your own gremlin. You know, you need to look at what, what really is going on and just go for it. And so don't be surprised if somebody says, you know, I'm God, my relationship sucks. You know, I'm, I can't really whatever. And it's like you aren't even born yet. You know, and you just look at them and you're not even here. How can you, you can't, you're not even present enough to, to have a relationship. So forget this relationship shit. Here's what you need to work on. And don't hesitate to do that. Okay. Something like that. Thank you. Somebody else. 
I love these old stories from Eric Byrne and stuff because he's. I told you that you know there's that story where I, in 2007, I went to this transactional and international transactional analysis association meeting in San Francisco where all the people all over the world were gathered from transact because I wanted to meet Valerie Langford who was this creator of the four feelings map she was there and I wanted to meet uh, Dr. Stephen Carbon the guy who invented the drama triangle he was there so I went there you know to have this meeting and it, with them and then I also offered to do some of our work there that we were using what we were doing with four feelings and so they they gave me a little uh, a, a little workshop time, which happened to be at the same time the 200 people were meeting in the big hall <coughs> to meet to meet some important transactional analysis speakers. So I was a little side workshop. We had 12 people, and so there was this woman. I said, I, "I'd like a volunteer. I just want to demonstrate how we do some feelings work." And so uh, Janet Redmond from from New Zealand happened to be there, and she said okay. she's a, tra a long time transactional analysis person. She goes, "I'd like to volunteer." And I go, "Good. Well, we're going to well, let's see which feeling would you like to work with? You know, mad, sad, glad, or scared?" She says, "Fear." I go, "Okay, lay down on the floor." So we here we have twelve people, and this Janet she stellated fear. She like went a hundred percent intense archetypal fear in this little room that was butted up against the big the big 200 people meeting at the same time and she's just screaming her head off you know and it, and it was so amazing that i couldn't believe that she would go to 98 percent archetypal fear first so i said let's do this again so we do it again and so and it was fantastic she stellated her fear right there in this little workshop and and then uh, we go out on the break and the the guy who organized the entire international transactional analysis conference came up to me and I go, uh-oh, here. He goes, were you the people making the, the sounds in the next room? You know, were you the ones? And I go, yeah, that was, that was us. He goes, I am so glad, he said, because I have not heard feelings work in transactional analysis since Eric Byrne died. So Eric Byrne was doing feelings work with people in transactional analysis and nobody else got it. Nobody else picked up on it and carried on. They're all doing trans transactions, you know, parent talking to ego, analyzing, low drama, analyzing, like all this mental stuff. Nobody was doing feelings work in transactional analysis. So it's great to have these stories about, about like, for example, Eric Byrne, who founded, you know, created this whole place, but could not get the people to make the leap to use the feelings work because i went to this workshop from valerie langford you know and i go god i finally get to meet the woman who did mad sad glad and scared i go in the room i think it's going to be you know filled up there was four of us there were four people in her little workshop and it was it was so shocking to me it was really a shock and, and so it's so important for you to carry on this work and share these stories and teach people how to internavigate because nobody else is doing it. That's the thing. And it works. And it's so, so valuable. I, I just have a feedback today regarding that. I, I had a possibility team yesterday and uh, a woman from the team and she has never had an ETP and so, so on. Uh, but she had picked up on on the four feelings and uh, the differentiation of emotion and feelings. And she told me that uh, she had uh, 
gone into the fear of being alone for a long time. But now it happened that she went one level deeper and it became so strong, the fear of being uh, given to a, to a, to a crib uh, when she was two years. And she said, it was like two or three minutes. I had this very intense feeling and then it went away. Now I understand uh, what is the difference between a feeling and an emotion. And I immediately after could sense that the, the whole pressure of this feeling lonely, that changed. It changed something. Mm -hmm. And, and as, I'm really amazed because I, I never have given a lot of uh, uh, background and context about that. I just mentioned it in various citations, but she very well picked that up. And it's such powerful that she, even without having ETB or lab, she could work with that. I, mm -hmm. I'm really glad about that. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I mean, I, I hope, I mean, one of the things that's been most shocking to me is that clients who benefit tremendously from being in a coaching session do not tell their friends about it. And I, I don't know why that is, but there's this almost like, it's so surprising, like you said, Joseph, and it's so effective and, and the shift is so big but, but there's, no, there's not enough framework out there for people to understand. I mean, in, in, if you think back 40 years ago, maybe 50 years ago, when nobody had heard of yoga before, or think about when nobody had heard of veganism before, or even vegetarianism, you know, or think back when people have were, started to jog, go jogging or something. Like these were radically weird behavior changes, very weird. And now this is decathlon. I mean, this piece is everywhere. I mean, if you don't have, if you don't go through the airport with a yoga mat, people think somebody's wrong with you. You know, you gotta, where's your yoga mat? You can't go on the airplane without your yoga mat, you know? So the, 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 we're still in possibility management. We're still at this part of the curve where <coughs> people don't recognize what we're doing yet. There's no brand recognition or there's no, it has not become commonplace yet for people to do emotional healing processes or go to an EHP dojo or go to possibility coaching. Like what, what the hell, you're going to feel something. Oh my God, you're going to, you're going to inner navigate and, and take radical responsibility for uh, an, an emotion that's been locked into your muscles since you were a baby and it's going to shift in 45 minutes and you're, you're going to have a whole new beginning in your life. It's, it's like, what? This is still at the fringe. And so um, if you can, one thing that I've been doing is I try to empower my clients to speak to their friends about the process that they went through, to, to, to share about what they, what they discovered about themselves and how the process went and be glad about feeling scared. Be glad about feeling angry. Be glad about feeling sad. So big. You know, they'll go, God, I went to 17%, you know, sadness. I went to 22% anger. And to, and to empower them to share that with their friends and their, their you know, their, their world so that it starts to break through and become a whole new way of life, just like yoga or jogging or veganism or, or drinking juices in the morning, you know, things like that. So 
I just encourage you to really empower your people to speak about their experience with you in a normal way, like as a, as a way of like, God, it was fantastic. It was a, it was so, I felt so great after yoga. I felt so great after going to 35% anger like that. I'm doing three, three, three exercise, you know, and to have it be a whole new, just to build out the, the, the way to speak about it with, with their friends and their family and their, their partners and, and colleagues and things like that. So that it becomes a, a, it becomes more ordinary quicker. I mean, it will happen, but it's just, it's, it should happen. It can happen more quickly if you also empower your people to not keep it a secret. You know, I have my secret little possibility coaching session and, and my life is better, but I just don't tell anybody about it, you know? Because <laughs> people don't want to be weird, you know? Mm. But if you, can, if you can make it not weird in your session, then and then they can speak about it more as not weird than then more people can get access to this stuff. So thank you, Joseph. Somebody else. Yeah, I have a question and it is coming from I was working with a client and he was expressing his self-hate. And I was wondering if you could tell from your experience, like working with the person when they're expressing their self-hate and it seems like nothing from the self-hate is, is transforming into conscious anger and to the outward, it's, I'd say to a boundary or something. Mm -hmm. This is a male person? Yes. Yeah. So there's a lot of reason for self-hatred and I don't know how well you contextualize what's going on for, for that person, but uh, how clear are they about their masculine nature or masculine side clear clear enough yeah. Yeah? yeah well good because then you can talk about what it was like to be born in the patriarchy have you had that conversation with them yet i was i was more directing on like asking well well what did it serve for like what did you um, yeah that's too sophisticated yeah yeah no the there's this huge gap for a human being to be born in the patriarchy. And since the patriarchy is so prevalent, it's most of us just skip that part. But I, I encourage you not to skip that part. I encourage you to have that conversation with your people. And so like a, a boy baby has to decide at birth to either join the patriarchy or die. And a number of baby boys choose death over joining the patriarchy and they call it sudden infant death syndrome and doctors do not, cannot explain why baby, some babies just decide to die. I mean, I remember also uh, being in grade school, I was five or six years old and there was a kid in my class when I was five years old and I knew, I knew he was, could be a friend of mine because he was different and so but i also did not know how to be a friend with him but it turned out he did not come back next year and it turned out that he accidentally slipped off of a rock and fell into the canyon and i know it wasn't an accident i know he killed himself and i know he killed himself because the culture could not accept him there was no place in him in the patriarchy he did not want to join the patriarchy. 
So instead of joining the patriarchy, he killed himself. And I just knew this in my bones. And so th this is a huge choice that every single person needs to make to be either you get to lie and be so adaptive and fake and put on this show to join the patriarchy or you die. And so you're, this man has decided to be fake, but there's a very good reason to hate himself for that. And so, and, and, and so a lot of times it's really most useful to Marcus, what were you doing was you were doing this. You were doing, he said, I hate myself. And you go, well, what's the benefit of hating yourself? You know, probably there's no real benefit. You shouldn't hate yourself. And yeah, but I hate myself. No, you shouldn't hate yourself. Like it's not healthy, whatever. So what I'm saying is go like this, move around. So you're, I hate myself. You, why do you, this is excellent. You finally, you actually have speaking the truth. It is so important to hate. Okay. Why are you, you know, why are you hating yourself? Because it's true, not because it's wrong or bad or you shouldn't, but because yes, you, there's a part of you that knows that it was a lie when you joined the patriarchy. So what are you hating about yourself? And you start listing, well, I hate myself for this. I hate my, great. I can see that. Keep going. What's the value of this? This is such a noble, what are you actually trying to accomplish by hating yourself? Mm -hmm. You get that? You go over to his yeah. side. And what are you trying to accomplish by hating yourself? Let me help you accomplish that. Yeah. Let's accomplish this thing because it's valuable. You, know, it's, you understand it isn't a, a mental, intellectual going against. You go with him. You go stand at his side and help him accomplish what he's trying to accomplish. And then what you'll find is you'll, you'll find a whole new element of this guy unfolding that's true and valuable and precious that that everybody else is trying to talk him out of hating himself but it's actually valuable to hate himself because what he's hating is the patriarchy mm -hmm. cool let's let's start working on what what culture would you like to live in what kind of culture would you love to live okay what would it take for you to create that good what you know what where what is your life really about you know if you're hating the, you see what i'm saying yes <clears throat> totally yeah to join forces in that and, exactly. and move out of it. Yeah. Exactly. There's so much value in the underworld. Mm. This, is, this is one thing that makes possibility coaching so different from other coachings is other coachings are trying to achieve the upper world, enlightenment, clarity, you know, positive thinking. There, this is, there's all these other kinds of coaching. So what we're doing is let's look at your underworld. Let's go in with you. So your job as a possibility coach is to accompany your clients into the journey into their underworld. And you accompany them without a judgment about it. It isn't bad, wrong, stupid. You're going with them into looking at what they're looking with, what they're not, what they're not seeing. You know, what you're going into the part of themselves that they're not clear about. What, what are they unconscious about? You are adjoining them on this journey as a space holder. And you're providing different perspectives or different distinctions or different ways for them to own a part of themselves they have been suppressing or repressing or blocking or hating or banishing. And this includes gremlin and it includes shadow principles and it includes old decisions and it includes all these things. 
but our job is to go with the client on this journey. And this is what makes possibility coaching so effective is because we're being with the client where they are, rather than trying to be someplace we think they should be and have them join us, we go to where they are. There's this really incredible story I got to be with Alexandro Jodorowsky, who's a, a creator of a thing called Psycho Magic. He has a couple books out about it, but I was with him for a few days in a, uh, um, a conference, a psycho, uh, psychological, what's it called? Transpersonal psychology conference for a month long. He was there for a month. I got to be there for a few days with him and watch him work with this guy who was in complete shutdown. The guy was in complete catatonia just about because his girlfriend suddenly left and abandoned him. And he just closed in on himself. And, and it was, a, of course, he had a predisposition to this tendency and, it, and the trigger was his girlfriend leaving. But, but here, this is how he was. And so the way he started to work with this is instead of trying to call the guy out from being in there, he, he brought his other students and they went in with this guy where he was. They went and they just they they just gathered around and just like stood right all around him. This is they did this for a whole couple of days that I didn't see. They did this before, and they did this thing where if they, they had the guy stripped down to his underwear and he he if he would say a word, he wouldn't say anything. But if he said any word at all, somebody would write it on his body in lipstick. Mm-hmm. So. It started to come out of him. The word was coming out of him. So if he said, you know, scared, they would write scared all right across in big lipstick. And then somebody, he would say lonely or something. People would write lonely and they would, and every time he would say a word, people would hear it, see it, write it. And it was like, they were going to be with him where he was. And it was this amazing moment I got to see where they'd been doing this for a couple of days. He's completely covered with words written in lipstick all over him. And, and he comes out on the, on the stage, like where everybody was, there's 150 people around and we're all looking and he's got this blanket around. And, and Alexander Jodorowsky is just standing there in a suit and top, you know, not a tie, but a white shirt and a beautiful suit. And he's standing there just looking at the guy going, are you ready to be seen? Mm-hmm. Are you ready to be seen where you are? And, and the guy just finally, he just slowly takes off this blanket. And then people start reading the words that are all over him. And people, and he just starts crying. The guy starts crying and he, he can talk again. He can, because people are reading the words that he said that are all over him. And it, and it was so, and he just goes and he hugs Alexander Jodorowsky. He just <laughs> hugs him like this. He couldn't help it. And what was so cool was when he let go, there was lipstick all over Alexander Jodorowsky's shirt, completely covered with words from this guy and everybody's laughing. And it was so, it was a celebration of us getting to be with this guy where he was and Alexander Jodorowsky did not give a shit about losing his shirt, you know, or losing his whole suit from this guy just covering it with lipstick and everything. He didn't give a shit about it because it was so important that this guy came out. And this is what we're doing. You know, this is what we're doing. We're going to be with the people where they are. 
and there's nobody else who can do it because they don't know how to feel. They don't know how to be sad or how to be glad or how to be angry. They don't know how they're so fucking scared. You know, every other form of coaching, people do not know how to feel. They are so locked away from themselves. So they can't be with the client. They can discuss things and talk about things. You can't be with them where they are and go with them on this journey into their underworld, their unconscious world. And that's what you can do because you know how to feel. And so this is this huge gift that you have to be with these people. And, and, you know, you don't have to be smart about it. You know, we've got these uh, hundred coaching videos online, you know, and some of them are really miraculous. I don't know if you've been watching them, but some of these coachings are just absolutely miraculous. But you don't have to do that. These are just, all you need to do is mad, sad, glad, and scared and be with the people. And is it a feeling or an emotion or just hang out with them where they are there and that will change it. That will evolve it because people have this stuff all locked in and suppressed and blocked away and cut off. And, and it's like, and, and you're joining them where they are is enough to unlock that whole thing. And even if that's what they get in a session is they get, God, I've just been so scared about saying anything because I said, you know, people judged me one time and I made this uh, lockdown and then you're just with me and you're not judging me and you're just being with my fear. And then they go, it just, it just melts. The thing just melts away. And then the next layer can come and then the next layer like that. So it's so, it's so important to just stay simple, you know, keep it simple, but join them where they are rather than trying to get them to be somewhere else. That's so different from possibility coaching with other kinds of coaching. Thank you, Marcus. Yeah, thank you. I, I want to add that like a couple of days I had this breakthrough where I discovered that also I, in my coaching or like in the work I was doing the last weeks and months, I had put my center into transformation. And it just came back two days ago to me that it's, it's really more about like, well, keeping my center and being, I can only be with them when I have my center where I am. Yeah, yeah thank you. I mean, to be a possibility coach, you have to pay full price. And the, the full price means your bullshit detector is pointed at yourself first. Your sword of clarity is pointed at yourself first. You know, the sword of clarity has these two edges and it's hitting you first. And so you don't get to, you don't get to pretend, you don't get to look good. You don't get to have all the answers. You don't get to be right. You don't get to be perfect. There's the show doesn't work. Like none of it works. So you pay full price to be a possibility coach and who would want it any other way? I mean, it's, it's that's where the authenticity is, but at the same time, we haven't we have not been initiated until we meet this kind of work and so there's a show that we we try to put on and we try to we try to act as if we have it together or if we understand or if we're a coach you know and we have a, a website and a you know a profession so i'm a coach you know so my life should work my relationship should work i should have you know everything should be fine you know that whole thing we don't get that as a possibility coach. What you get is nothing. You know, what you get is zero. What you get is space. What you get is 
opportunity. You get nothing to stand on. What you get is what you get is to play. Basically, what you get to do is play in three worlds. And that scares the shit out of most people. Because you look at people, you just look at people. I mean, I'm sure you, most people go through this stage where you're walking through the shopping mall and you just look at people and go, God, that kid shut down at two years old. You know, it's a 47-year-old it's a man, you know, trying to, trying to go grocery shopping. You go, there's a two-year-old boy there who's, who, whose mother beat him when he was two years old and he can't even decide what kind of lettuce to get for himself, you know. Or this, this lady, she's all dressed up, you know, and she's trying to impress somebody. And it's like, you just go, God, that's 11 years old. And she just shut down because, you know, her girlfriend went away or her sister died. Or you just look at people and you can see all this stuff. And so anybody have that? You guys are having this? Anyway, so the thing is, yeah. And so you, this is, you see everything. You know, you just, it's like, it's an open book to you. And it doesn't give you power. It does not give you advantage and it gives you basically pain because you walk through the shopping zone and what you do is you feel and see and hear everybody's pain because you're so clear about the underworld and these people are blocking it and they're talking so fast that they don't feel anything and they're making stupid jokes and this one's not saying anything because they hate themselves and like all this stuff is going on and so there's a way of of the glory like the glory of possibility coaching is that, that, that you get to help people. You know, you get to really serve, you get to make a difference in people's lives. And it, and that's, that's the glory that you get. You don't get to have right answers or Mercedes Benz or like all these something be rich and famous and whatever you get to help people. Really. You get to invent next culture, one person at a time. You get to take people out of their lockdown, you know, cramped up, you know, fake personality show thing. You get to destroy that for them. You get to help people get out of prison. You get to help people in prison breaks. And then life outside the prison is fabulous. And how many people do you know are outside the prison? <laughs> Not so many. You know, you look around and go, well, you know, this, this crew right here is going to be your best friends because they're the ones who are most out of prison out of anybody that you know. And you, you go back to your parents, you know, you go back to your home neighborhood and you look around and you think, God, these are my high school friends and whatever. And they're all zombies. And you go, oh, my God, they're zombies. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a zombie transformer. Anybody want to go through zombie transformation? You know, and they all think you're just nuts. You know, they all think, but somebody will go, yeah. And then they'll go, and, and it will work. But it's, it's, I don't know, it's not this uh, tidal wave of people wanting to end being zombies. I mean, the, the latest uh, Matrix movie from, from uh, the, um, what is it, Wachowski. Yeah, what's her name? Jana, Lana. Lana, Lana Wachowski. We got to see, if you've seen the fourth movie, you know, they created these Matrix movies, which is for people to get out of prison. It's for people to wake up, people to see, you know, this whole zombieism stuff that's going on and everybody's asleep, you know, and then you can see the movies and wake up and they did these three movies and they go, yeah, it's the revolution. Yeah, it's happening. You know, and, and 10 years after, nothing's changed. You know, there's just more zombies than ever. So they make this fourth movie, which is about 
saying, you know, it did not work. The revolution against the zombies did not work. You know, they're still sleeping. They still want to sleep. You give them the option and they would choose fake steak rather than real slime for breakfast. You know, the, the people would rather stay asleep. Okay, well, the world is like that. And so you guys, you guys have this ability to like, bring a zombie back to life. And it's just, they would have to do the work. You cannot do it for them. And so they, they would need to come to you and go through this process and people will do it more and more. The thing is, you know, how fun can you make it sound? You know, how fun can you, can you make it? If you make it serious, if you make this kind of like an this overwhelming on the world work where you have to look at your shadow principles and you have to own your gremlin. Sit, sit, you sit here and you just fucking sit here. I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on a diet, you know. If you do this, you know, people are gonna just it's not it doesn't sound very fun. So there's a way that, that part of your job is to actually, when you join the person where they are in their underworld journey, is to is to make light of it. You know, is actually go, God, this is so cool that you figured out this horribly twisted, self-deprecating, you know, self-suppressing, imprisoning, like self-strangling, you know, non non-lively way to survive. That's amazing you did that good, would you like to try anything else? You know, would you like to try something different? It isn't like you have to, you have bad habits, you know, you have to change your habits of behavior. You know. So there's, there's a way for you to have the adventure spirit and the, and the quest, you know, you're on this quest together with your clients to go through this archetypal underworld journey stuff and really, really make it fun and really make it mm. adventurous. Cause it really is, it's really archetypal, the stuff, the stuff you're able to offer people is arc at the archetypal level. And so, but, but it's up to you to rest in that, you know, and there's times where I don't know what kind of practices you give your people, but, you know, to have them, for example, walk through the town with a, carrying a sword, you know, wooden Vulcan sword at their waist or to get a, one of these, um, dark, flat Zorro cowboy hats and put a, a Zorro mask on and walk through town and actually, you know, to, to find ways for them to shift identity out of their survival strategy and have other options to choose from. These, these are also practices that you can give your clients that are legend making, that create this dimension of exploration, fun, adventure, transformation, play, playing full out as part of their healing and evolution work and not make it so just serious and overbearing, you know, mm. heavy duty, even though it is huge and serious and overbearing. It's, but, but you can um, relate to it in a way, it gives them a way to relate to it in a different way. Yeah. Christina, go ahead. I just said, we're gonna, yeah. You were gonna say something. No, I just said, yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We have time for a couple more questions here. One thing I, I noticed, I, I had some previous um, experiences with uh, kind of hypnotherapy or hypno-coaching. And what we do in, in each in, in a healing process is actually we're inducing a kind of a trance. Uh, and, and I'd like to 
get some more from you about uh, what we have to take care of, actually, because uh, inducing a trance is something also bringing people into a sensible state. And, and what, what is your perspective on that? The, the context of possibility coaching is radical responsibility. And it's also uh, awareness or alertness, like paying attention to your attention. It's noticing. So it's there's a lot about um, how to take responsibility for what you were not taking responsibility for before. And so there are many, many other contexts out there, contexts out there. So the, the trance work, you know, that kind of thing has a, an entirely different context. For the trance work to work, you need to have the hypnotist who then has more power in the game because they're the one hypnotizing you and you have to trust them. You have to, and, you, and you have to submit yourself to their, the way they navigate the space or what they ask you to, you know, they're navigating inside of you. So when they're navigating inside of you, it's no longer radical responsibility. Mm. You're not doing it yourself. So the, you know, the, the, the traditional, mm. the indigenous shamanism has to do with the great shaman comes to town, lays you on the bench, does the work on you, you pay them and they go away. And you are become, you're dependent on the great shaman to come and do the thing for you. So this is just like the hypnotherapist or the hip, hip you know, the, the trance state thing. I mean, we're also working with this in the mage training where we have a group of people just came together for season two of mage work, mage training. And there's people who wanna share mage stuff from other sources. And so then anytime, then what you have is people offering books or processes or practices or even tinctures or elixirs from other contexts, which are esoteric or they're shamanistic or they're indigenous or they're, you know, the, the Merlinian magical lineage from the Merlin's magical lineage tradition. And then there's the the druidic traditions of magic, you know, and then all of these, see, these are all different contexts. And so as soon as you, uh, there's nothing wrong or bad or whatever about other contexts, it's just that they are different contexts. And if you try to mix contexts together, that's what you get is a mixed context game world. And so the thing is, the possibility coaching is a new game world. It's really new. And it is, it is so excellent and fantastic. Sometimes I want to just jump out of my bed in the middle of the night and run through the street going, like possibly. <laughs> Somebody just rang the door. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so, yeah, so what the thing is, we, we haven't even discovered what possibility management coaching really is. We're just discovering it now. And it is so excellent and it is so fabulous that there's no need to, to look elsewhere. Now there's, but we have these minds, you know, we have this, well, what about that? Well, you know, what about, what about hypnosis? You know, what about yantras? Or what about meditation? Or what about, 
dance, you know, or contact, it, contact uh, improvisation, that, you know, all these things, you know, that people want to, what about play fight? What about all this stuff that people want to mix together? It's like, eh, you know, you have to find your own way through all this mess. And, you know, my, my way is pretty simple because I just go, fuck all the rest. Really, I just go, fuck all the rest. You know, you know, and I wait around. God, I've waited years. I have waited decades. I have looked for decades for people to give me the answers of stuff that works better than possibility management. I have found nothing. And it pisses me off. I think Aristotle should have figured this stuff out, you know, 2,000 years ago. Plato or those dudes. I think they should have figured it out and given it to us and they have it. So this, so I don't spend, I spend about 0.1% or 0.1 seconds or whatever in, I'm open, you know, I'm open. I'm looking for other people to show stuff that works better than this. I just haven't seen it. And so I just don't get distracted these days, but there's nothing you know, I'm not saying anything against what you're, Joseph, what you're talking about in terms of the trance thing. It's just a different context, has a different functionality, has a different effectiveness. And I haven't, I mean, my brother, my brother used to do, you know, hypnosis stuff. And, you know, he figured out how to grow his hair back using hypnosis. And he could do that, but his life sucked, but he had more hair. But anyway, <laughs> so... I mean, there's amazing stuff going on out there, but it's like you have to figure out what you really want. And, and I'm really more interested in people getting to live full out and deliver their non-material value as their archetypal lineage in action and really provide, you know, help, help create next culture and make spaces where we can, where people thrive in collaboration, you know, and that, that, that that's all that is possible. Somebody else is going to say something. Maybe Sabina. Sabina, you look like you're on a television show. Your backdrop is <laughs> really professional. <laughs> like yeah. you're... I work on my technique. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't have questions. And I thought, oh, I'm wrong. I, I don't have a question, but... I had so um, really um, nice and deep experiences uh, in the last time with um, with a group and in our four cell with um, processes. And sometimes I think the more I learn, the more I I'm aware of what I don't know, but it's on the Sabina, other Sabina, hand, Sabina, what are you sad about? Sad? You seem sad right now. Okay. What is it about? Maybe I'm sad about my fear to mm -hmm. say something because mm -hmm. 
I'm I'm really glad to be here and I had so so much to say but I can't cannot say it. Just try for a little while, okay? Just start talking. I, you're such a wonderful person. You got a wonderful team here. You're so connected. We're listening. Can you just talk for a while? Okay. It's okay if snot comes out your nose and tears down your face. That's okay, all right? We just want to hear you. So it, um, so much from this, what you say, said, it, it's, um, it's for me, it's truth. And I had the, I had the vision to, um, to be a coach, but, but I didn't found a good um, ausbildung or, or good Training, way yeah. to learn, and then and then I found I got in connection with possibility management, and that was the perfect one. That was what I was looking for and yes and I tried to to translate or to to give a picture from this to other people so that they can see which gold is in it and now I can I can watch um, the recording that will help me to to do this. Yeah. Just we're going to do a little experiment. How many of you guys actually love Sabina? You just put your hand up. Sabina, will you just try to let this in? Try to not bite your lips. And you get to live in a world where this many people can just stand here and say, we love you. So all your doubts about that, about making mistakes or something, This doesn't work here. Sabina, you're doing something right now in your mind. What are you doing? What are you thinking? I, I was thinking on my process yesterday. I was in my shadow world. And I found out that I decided to kill myself, to kill my everything. 
except my 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 guys, my mentor. Yes, and then I came back to my village and recognized that I pushed my sword and sword in me selbst. Um, um nicht zu fühlen, um nicht wirken zu können, um nicht um nicht meine meine Macht zu haben. To not have your power. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Did you pull the sword out yet? Yes. Can you show us how it went when you pulled it out? How it was? How, yeah, show us how, how you pulled it out. Just show us. Ich soll zeigen, wie ich es rausgeholt habe? Yeah, exactly. With your hand, right now. Yes, I did it like this. No, no, no. One hand. How did you do? You stuck it in like this, you said. You showed us that you stuck it in like that. Yeah. Okay, well, you have to take it out the same way, slowly. Now? We, yes. Okay. Oh, shit. What? I thought there's a towel. I think that would be loud. No, no towel. Just use your hand. Yeah, that, that. I don't think you pulled it out yet, so yeah, slowly, slowly, slowly. Yes, yes, yes. Loud, let the sound out, let the sound out. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and slowly open your eyes and just stay with your feeling, open your eyes. And will you reach in and pull one of those little golden pearls from your bag of things and put it here to fill up the space where the sword was filling up? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> And slowly open your eyes. Do you know why all these people have their hands up? No. 
Try to remember. Still love me. Yes. Genau. Das. And we want to hear what you have to say. I didn't have questions because I do, I do the work with my four bodies and I get the impulses with all the bodies, not only with the mental body. And then it is like, an, like a journey with a client. And sometimes I have a question, but sometimes I only reflect what I see, what I feel, what I have, what I have an energetic impression, and then I give it back. And all, all the important questions and the answers and the way is, is in the other one. It's not me. I don't have the answers. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. We're Thank going to you. put our hands down, but it doesn't mean we're stopping loving you. <laughs> Thank you. Sabina, you mentioned four bodies and not five. Is that on purpose? No. I guess if I am in this state, then I'm connected with my archetypal body or lineage. Yeah. I wanted to bring that up just for everybody to acknowledge or to start to notice more the archetypal nature, this part of the possibility coaching, because if life was just the four bodies, you know, the physical body, the mind, the emotions, and even just space, you know, the energetic body is about space and who's in my space or do I own this or do they own this or what's the timing? These are all energetic body things. If that was it, there'd be kind of no point because it's really the archetypal domains that we have direct access to, that you can sit facing your client as a representative of somebody who has access to the archetypal domains. This is so precious for them. Even if you hardly say anything 
in a coaching session and hold open the space for the archetypal domains for them and you and the space for them that is so precious because there's no place else in the world, hardly any place else, except for certain, uh, certain temples and different tombs of saints or certain artifact places where, they, where that's available. It's just not available in modern culture. And so uh, I would encourage you, that, that would be kind of a theme for a future time, Christina, is to really investigate how to provide archetypal levels of possibility coaching for people. But if you could, if you guys would start, if you would uh, just have that as a question in your, in your mind or have it as a question in the space where you are, or even ask your client, you know, what's your relationship to your archetypal domains? Just ask them that question. And who knows what, uh, what their blocks are or who knows what their wounds are in terms of what's cutting them off from some, some of the most ecstatic and rewarding quality of life in terms of the archetypal domains. That would be a, um, an incredible addition. You know, when somebody's doing some of those 11 floor processes with you or 13 floor processes, when they do Enfaltung's process or uh, any of the diaphragm process or any of these kind of processes, when you, when you hold access to the archetypal in that work, they get a whole new healing and a different level of healing in themselves. So that's, <clears throat> we maybe haven't talked about that enough in terms of possibility coaching, but it's a huge benefit that people can get from being with you in the possibility coaching space that you have access to the archetypal domains and can hold that open for them. We have a couple more minutes, like 10 or 12 more minutes. Somebody have anything else? Annie or Martin or anybody um, else? Devin? I somehow like, I want to bring the lecture that was happening by you right now. Like this is for me right now, a reference point where you are holding actually this archetype of space. It's like, I am, I'm like some I'm mapping or my 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 metrics is like it's getting the point where is it? Thank you. You're welcome. This is just a side thing, Sabina. I want to make sure you you. When you after you took the sword out, you did not put it down or put it away. That you still have it. You still have your sword. That you know after you take it out, you don't just throw it away somewhere. Because in possibility management, the the foundation is that every option is an option. Every option is always an option. This is why. It's so fabulous. But what that means is Sabina could just stick the sword back in. That's an option. But if she takes it out and throws it away, then she's removing an option. But that doesn't, that's not how it works. So you can't protect yourself from options by trying to throw them away. They're always an option. Everywhere you are, it's an option. 
and it, and this is this means horrible things as well as amazingly wonderful things you know so i mean it's it's incredible to walk down the street as a possibility coach knowing every option is an option you could just give all your money to some guy sitting on the street or you could kill the guy on the street or you could sit down and write a book next to the guy on the street and let's write a book together or you could just spit on the guy on the street or you could stand and say, could you teach me to dance? I, I've never had a dancing lesson and you're just sitting here on the street. Maybe if I gave you 20 euros, would you teach me a dancing lesson? You know, there's every option is an option. And so I just wanted Sabina to be clear that it wasn't about throwing your sword away. You still, that's your sword, you need your sword. And what you do with it is, is up to you. And does that clear, Sabina? Yes, it is. Okay. Do you have a name for your sword? A like name? Galindral? Yeah. Like everybody knows what Scarlet. Merlin's sword name, Excalibur. Everybody knows the name from its different swords. Your sword can have a name. Mm. Sabina, what is the name of your sword? I will I will take the question with me and take time with me to find out. Okay. Let us know then, all right. Yes. I I hope that everybody will do that. Find out the name of your sword and have that kind of respect for it. Okay, uh, any, anything from your department over there? Yeah, well, I was I, I, call any. I have an impulse to make a, sorry, to make a request to, uh, I, I would like a, a healing process from you, Clinton, and invite the others to watch. And I don't know how that would work and how much you charge. But my question is, I've done hell a lot of healing processes this, in 2021. And I have that sadness about I didn't get the friendship with my mother that I thought that I could make. Are you living and at I, her house? No longer. There's no more benefit for me to be there. I've stayed okay. quite a long time. and There's benefit to me because she's reminding and pointing out all the, the places that need healing. And I thought that, I don't know, one of the possibilities that I thought might come of it would be that, that there would be a softening and a friendship. And there's been a shift. And now I feel 
spun, spinning. And and you had had you had described that uh, it's a very good time to to go into another level of process when I'm in the unknown. So, I mean, your name on the thing is Annie. Should I call you Anne Elizabeth or Annie? Call me Anne Elizabeth. I've, okay, well then I'm change your name on the, on the window. Yes, I understand. It. Yeah. So, so the thing is, you you said that you're you are spinning, and you're the things you don't know, but there's in fact a thing you just told us that you do know. And I'm asking you to stand in what you do know. And what you do know is that you were wrong about your fantasy world, about having a lovey-dovey friendship with your mother. So yes. you say that, I know that I was wrong about that. I know that I was wrong about my fantasy world, about having a lovey-dovey relationship with my mother. Yeah. And that is hard earned. You worked hard to get that clarity. You can stand. And on I know it. that she will. She won't love me ever in the way that well, I right. I wanted. Exactly. Yeah. And that is hard earned. You had to work hard to get that. So stand on it. You know, I'm telling you, I lived the first 42 years of my life in fantasy worlds, and it took. It was a hell destruction. It was a completely unforgiving kind of force that I had to face into that ate my fantasy worlds. And afterwards I could say, I was wrong about that, but it, I could stand on saying I'm wrong about it. That I knew yeah. it was true. You have something really solid to stand on there. Yes, I have I'm I'm solidly standing on 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 the work. It was a hell of work from last year. And yeah. I have a vista of nothing and I'm and I'm interviewing places, I'm interviewing cities and 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 I want to have be part of a, a bridge house. And I have no idea how that, that will work or who, who can come or people have a bridge house and invite me. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. my preference because it seems like I, I'm physically tired. <laughs> so gaining my physical strength back from, and my, my, energetic strength all, all, all of my five bodies are this field yeah, it's just get it yeah. that that's how it is don't try to make it better you know the path we're on this path together it is it is an incredible path and it takes energy to you to run the path to walk the path and so being exhausted, being tired, being sore, being sick, being like not knowing if you're going to make it is part of the path. If, it, if that was not part of the path, it would not be the path. 
So don't try to make it that, oh gosh, I'm tired, so therefore something's wrong. This is, oh gosh, I'm tired, that means I'm on the path. Well, then fuck yeah, I'm on the path. Okay then. So let also my whole body says, "Well, that's the the sign of the path." And shit, yeah, I'm on the fucking path. There you go. And let echo do its work. You will not figure it out with your mind where you're supposed to go next. All right, just do the path. You know, I've lived in cars myself. So for a year almost, I lived in a car. It's like, do the path. It's incredible. Yeah. All right. We have have come to our time here. I'm going to hand the space back to Christina. Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you very much. Thank you. It was epic was epic yes and it's recorded and i will place it online and i will send you the link so you can see it again and again and again if you want <laughs> Yay. and and i haven't i have an announcement for our friday uh, ehp dojo i i will um i, I ask for a healing process um, Aunt Chloe, and she proposed exactly the time we have the dojo. So I invited her to the dojo. She holds space for me. And if if you like, you can join our breakout space. So um, if you don't, if you are not busy doing your own stuff in another breakout room, you are welcome to to hold space for my process. Yeah. Great. Just a little bonus. And um, no, I, I'm going to uh, say this next week. The logistics for, for yeah, end of, end of January. I have some announcements to make. Thank you so much for being here. And see you Friday in the EHP Dojo. Clinton, thank you for being with us. And enjoy your afternoon. Or day. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Doing great. See you.